You have your Bible, now that you're pumped up about God's Word, this is exciting. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to go ahead and finish 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today. The title of today's message is The Secret to a Fireproof Life in Ministry. I'm going to repeat that for you. For those of you that like to take notes, The Secret to a Fireproof Life in Ministry. If there's anything that we know that is going to take place based off history, based off years past, is that we will go through the fire. And it's not about if we go through the fire, but it's when we go through the fire, will we last? You see, maybe in your life, in your marriage, at work with your kids, um, financial, emotional, and, or a health situation, you've gone through the fire. I know I have. But when you go through the fire and you have the Holy Spirit, you have His Word, you're walking in holiness, you understand that you can live a life that is fireproof to everything that takes place around you. You know, in the beginning of chapter 3, we were studying how Paul is exhorting the church to not live a life in defeat, but to live a life in victory. And last year, maybe we had some defeats, but today, this year... We're decided that this is the year of victory where although there's going to be fire around us, we're going to choose to live a fireproof life in ministry because we're reading the Bible and we're standing on God's Word. There were three things that we identified in the beginning of chapter 3 was the carnality of Corinth, the carnality of the church. The carnality was that they were trying to be like the world and using the world's wisdom or a secular mentality and bringing it into the church as a mean or a source to become right with God. And we know it very plain and simple as Paul has stated it, the world's wisdom is not enough. In fact, when you become converted, I love that word converted because it means to be changed from your mind, your heart, and your conduct, when you're changed from your mind, your heart, and your conduct, gets converted over to the Lord, guess what? The world's wisdom is not number one anymore in your life. It's God's wisdom. You know what the world's wisdom does? It, it allows you to become prideful or it motivates pride in your life, the world's wisdom. You see? And, and what was taking place is that through the world's wisdom, pride was taking place, and now the conduct was being affected. Because of pride, there was division. The carnality was the world's wisdom, which was pride. The conduct was the division that was taking place. But then we also studied the cure, which was Jesus. The centrality of Jesus. Yes, there might be carnality. Yes, there might be now a conduct change or a change in behavior that the church starts to act like the world. But then there is a cure, and that cure is Jesus. And He exhorts us to live... At the cross, He exhorts us to live with the wisdom of God and to refuse to live in such a low level of Christianity where it's carnal, where, where the flesh is still your master. You know when you live a life of carnality is when you don't deny yourself and you don't come to the cross. I love the cross. The cross is amazing. As we take communion today, we have to understand the cross. You know what's beautiful about the cross is that you understand the love of God, how much He loves you. And then you understand how much He forgave you. <laughs> and when you understand how much He loved you, and you understand how much He forgave you, guess what it does to you when somebody wrongs you? It allows you at the cross, if you stay there, and you're carrying the cross and you're denying yourself, it allows you to love someone that's wronged you, and allows you to forgive even beyond measure when you think about how Christ has forgiven us. 
That's so amazing. And he's trying to let them know, go to the cross. Don't live a carnal life. A carnal life is selfish. A carnal life is prideful. A carnal life does not allow you to live the abundant life. And I tell you, you have so much to, li- to lose. You have so much to lose in this life. And you have so much to lose in the next life. If you live a carnal life. If you decide, I'm just going to be carnal and, and compromising and, and low-level Christianity. And I'm going to be lukewarm. You have so much to lose. You know the greatest sin of a Christian is the greatest sin of the church and the Christian is when we get our eyes off of Jesus and when we get our eyes off of the cross. Where are your eyes off today? When your eyes are off of Jesus and He is not the centrality of your life, He no longer can become the cure because you took your eyes off of Him. When your eyes are off of the cross, you no longer can receive now that, that revival that you've always wanted to, that forgiveness, that restoration. The centrality of Christ is the cure to the problem. Maybe there's a problem. You see, man, today there is a problem in my heart. There's a problem in my life. And I want to enter the fireproof life in ministry. You know what the cure to your problem is? It's to put your eyes back on Jesus and to put your eyes back on the cross. Because the moment that you do that, it's the moment where healing begins. And I want you to remember that because the church here was divided. And they needed the cure of the cross. They needed the cure of putting their eyes back on Jesus, their eyes back on the cross. And he tells them now in verse 9 here, to verse 10, that we are one body, we are not to be divided, and we are not to be prideful, we are not to exalt ourselves, we are to put our eyes off of, on Jesus, because when we put our eyes on Jesus, we take our eyes off of man and self. It says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Notice how in that verse three times it used God's as a possessive pronoun. Signifying that you belong to Christ. That you are His possession. And if we are God's possession, we should not live in such a low level. If we are God's field, that means that He's going to come and expect harvest from our lives. But think about that. If you are God's possession, that means that we have no right to live in such a low Christian level of living. And if we are God's field, that means that He's going to come to your life one day and expect harvest from His field. In fact, He also says in verse 9 that we are His fellow workers. What does that mean? That means that we are His servants. That means that He wants to do the work with us. We can't do it without Him and He wants our participation. Just imagine this when you get to heaven. And as Jesus taught the parable in Matthew 25 verse 21, what did He say? When you get to heaven, the the words that you will hear at eternity, at eternity's gates when they're open for you. I said this, Jesus told him, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. What does he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you expect the Lord to tell you that today? Do you expect the Lord to tell you that at the end of your life, in the beginning of eternity, where he says, well done. Not only were you good, but you also were faithful and you were a servant. You see, we've learned in the last week and as we go into verse 10 today, is that in order to have that fireproof life in ministry, in order to have a life where at the end of our life, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant, it's going to depend on one thing. It's going to depend on our foundation and the way we build our lives. 
In verse 10 it says this, According to the grace of God which was given to me, it wasn't because of me, it was because of the grace of God, as a wise master builder, as an expert, as an experienced contractor, builder, as a knowledgeable man that knows how to read the plans and build from nothing to something. I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. You see, he's building a foundation. Now, what's the foundation? The church. And he's saying, not one person is more important than the other. And in order to be able to have a fireproof building, life or ministry, you have to make sure that the foundation is first set correctly. You see, we have to build it carefully. He said, take heed to build it carefully. We must build it cautiously as well. But also, we get to build it courageously. And when the foundation is laid, what is the foundation? He's told us already, the foundation is Jesus. That is the foundation of our lives. Jesus must be the foundation. But when you build off of that foundation, guess what you do? You start to scaffold on Jesus, or you start to build on Jesus, building with the blocks of holiness and prayer in God's Word. Because that keeps the building strong in order standing on the foundation. And I'll tell you this, the spiritual foundation of your life is crucial. Because if the spiritual foundation of your life is not strong, if it's shaky, the entire building will not last, it will fall. You cannot afford to have a weak foundation. You must never, never rush the foundation. You see, when they go out and do plans, and they do the soil test, and they put the blueprints out, and they get the city permits, they never rush when it comes to the foundation. Because you can't afford to have a weak foundation. It doesn't matter how busy you are. Maybe you're so busy and you say, you know what, I'm really busy this year. My, my schedule's already packed out for January. And you start to skip steps when it comes to the foundation. What foundation are you laying for this year? Is your foundation shaky or is it sure? Is it durable? Will it last the test of time and of trial? Your foundation. There's a story of a, a woman that asked her husband to come in and to hang this picture frame on the wall and this man was a little bit more of a short in stature so he grabs a chair and he grabs that chair he climbs grabs the hammer to put that nail on the wall and and he and he can't reach still you some of you are thinking is this what happened in your house between you and your wife it's not it's not about me so then he puts a box and his wife tells him get on the box you know he gets he gets the chair he puts the box on the chair he climbs on the chair gets on the box and he still cannot reach God helped the man. So he said he still cannot reach. His wife said, are you kidding me? You know? She grabs him a stool. She, he gets the chair. He puts the box and then the stool on top of it. And, and he's, he's climbing it. It's shaking. The foundation is shaking. And it's shaking. And she, she hands him the hammer. And then he goes and gets the hammer and click. And click really softly. And she yells him, what's the matter with you? Can you hit it harder? And she says, how do you expect me to hit it harder? When the foundation is shaking. How do you expect me to go stronger if the foundation is shaking? How do you expect me to continue moving forward when the foundation is shaking? How is your foundation today? Because it says take heed how each one builds it. Build it carefully. Determine how your foundation is going to look like. Because it is and it displays how far reaching, how strong your building is. Before you go up in that building, you have to go down. You have to go down. And maybe your heart today is hardened and the Lord can't go down in that soil. Ask Him to break it. Lay that foundation that Jesus Christ, that He's your support, He's your strength. So that it can be a work of God and not a work of man.
Not a work of the flesh. You see a lot of things start and then they don't finish. You know why? Because the foundation wasn't laid out. It was a work of man. It was not a work of God. And if it, Jesus isn't the foundation, then you can't call it a church at all. If your life isn't a foundation, can you call it the temple of God? If your home is not a foundation, can you really say that Jesus, it's being built off on Jesus and principles that come from the Lord? In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20, Paul says, We haven't been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. That middle piece, that, that corner, I'm sorry, that corner piece on the building that holds it all together. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Think about this. God is the cornerstone. And how are you building? On the rock or are you building on the sand? Jesus then explains later on that in Matthew, He says, chapter 7 verse 24, Therefore take heed, whoever hears the sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. There's too many people today building on sand. Why? Because they don't want to get rock, rocks in their hands. They don't want to get uh, this, uh, you know, cut up in their, their knees. They, they don't want to go and carry a, a hard and laborious task and, and build on a rock because it's harder. But it says here, if you hear my words and you do them, you're going to be the wisest man or woman because you're building on the rock and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Man, I don't know if you, you've ever been in a storm. Or if you ever felt like you were, your life was going through a storm and the winds were beating, it, the rains were coming, the floods were, the floods were rushing, and you started to see that the foundation in the house was moving. But it's said here, Christ says, that if you build on the rock, the foundation is that no matter what takes place, that house will not fall. Isn't that a promise right there? For it was founded on the rock, but everyone who hears the signs of mine, the sayings of mine, think about it, if this is us, that we hear these sayings. We absolutely do nothing about Him. We leave the church unchanged, it says here. And does not do them, I will liken Him like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. See, the reason why our lives, our homes, our families, maybe our relationships at work, maybe our marriages at home, whatever it would be, the reason why we see great falls is because when we build, we build our way instead of God's way. God's calling you today to build. Without a strong foundation and without the right foundation, whatever you're building will not last. Man's ways, worldly wisdom, marketing, entertainment, innovation, whatever it would be, experience, the world's knowledge, it does not matter. That's not going to help your building stand. Fleshly attraction and the worldly wisdom may have a place, but it does not have a place when it comes to building Christians and the church. You can't say I'm building like the world and then when the world come against me, I'm going to last the test of trial. It's not going to work. How are you going to face the world like that? You can't face the world like that. We can't compromise on the foundation. And the reason why I want to spend time on this is because if we compromise on the foundation, it will have severe consequences. And when I talk about foundation, I talk about character. We talk about ministry. We talk about life. That it's built on Jesus. That is the correct foundation. It says in verse now 11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Why don't we ask the Lord today, Lord, I want you to be my foundation. Because as long as I'm in your hand, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. And look at what it says here now. No other foundation 
than Jesus Christ. But now you have the foundation built. Now you have it established. It is Jesus. It is God. It is Christ. It's the cross. It's its word. But now you have the option of now that the foundation is set, how, what materials will I use to build a building? What, what quality materials will I use to build up now after the foundation is laid? This is an amazing message for the first Sunday of 2019 because it gives you the option, you have the decision, laying the right foundation out, not skipping any steps, not rushing the foundation because it's crucial and it will cost you consequences. But now when you build up, what materials do you use? Have you ever gone to build something and you want to use the most least expensive materials so it can cost you the less? But guess what happens a few months later... Whatever you've built, whatever it was a chair, a fence, it's falling apart <laughs> because you use cheap materials. <laughs> See, right here he's going to talk about in verse 12 and in verse 13 between the valuable and the worthless materials on how we ought to build. Between the valuable and the worthless material to build upon that strong, firm foundation. It says in verse 12, Now if anyone builds on this foundation... With gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Think about that. You have options in where you can decide to use the materials. All the way from gold and that quality, all the way to straw. Now you see a more fickle type of material. And I'll tell you this, it's not about the quantity of materials that you use. It's about the quality of building a right church. So many times we're so impressed by big numbers, big churches, uh, a, a, a big result. But it's not about the qual quantity, it's about the quality. How valuable was that which you built? Was it valuable or was it worthless? You see, valuable materials it means a pure spirit-led life. That's valuable. You're building on a pure spirit-led life. You're, pure, you're building on doctrine, the Word of God. We've decided we're going to read the Bible from beginning to end. Well, I'm building on doctrine. That is valuable. I'm building on prayer. That's valuable. I'm building on the motivation that Jesus gets all the glory. That is valuable. I'm building on sound doctrine. That is crucial. I'm building now to take the right materials. You know what's worthless? Building on feelings. Building on emotions. Building on a secular mentality and mind where self is the motivation. We talked about it last week. When self is the motivation, Satan will be the rewarder. You see, weak doctrine, emotional feelings, that's not going to last. We need the Word of God. And it says this now in verse 12, the foundation which is gold, silver, precious stones, wood and hay. Each one's work will become clear. There's not going to be any confusion when you get to heaven on how you built your foundation. And sometimes we're so impressed. Look at everything that I'm doing. or uh, it, it looks all good from the outside, but from the inside it doesn't even... There's no strength. There's no depth. There's no substance. There's no character or integrity a part of it. So guess what? It's going to become clear. Clear means evident. Clear means obvious. When is it going to become clear? In fact, it says it in verse 13. It says, each one's work will become clear for the day. What day? Anytime you see day in the Bible capitalized, it's talking about judgment day. It's talking about the day where everyone, me and you, will each have a personal interview with Jesus Christ. And no one's going to be able to answer for you. And there He's going to grab your life, your works. 
He's going to go ahead and take everything you ever did and test it in the fire. Because what does fire do? It, it exposes the blemishes in something, it, the imperfections, it melts it now. It illuminates and it purifies to take the best out of that material. The, goal, the fire does that. And he says, if anyone's work has any value or depth, or is it superficial work? You see, this is where we really know if our, our Christianity was shallow. Or will it really be tested through that fire and, 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 and it be clear and evident that our faith was genuine and that our work was genuine, that our motive and our intentions were holy and were pure. This is amazing here because this reminds us that the Lord also looks at your motives. He's going to look at why you did the things that you did. How sincere was your work? Or did it have any cracks or defects in it? You know, back in ancient time where they would build statues and, and sculptures out of clay... Sometimes the sculpture, after it was done, it would have cracks in it, and it would be filled with defects. But after the potter would come, and he would patch up all those little cracks, and then try to sell it to people, and later on the cracks would be exposed, that they weren't really, it wasn't in, uh, a, a, a piece that was made with integrity, or it wasn't sincere. But then there was other, now, craftsmen that would build on these sculptures. And then when they would have finished building it on the bottom of their sculpture, they would stamp sincere, which would mean without cracks or without defects. Sincere. Think about your life. Is it sincere? Or are there cracks and defects because we're not building with the right mentality, with the right motive? And one day we will have a personal interview with Christ. It says here in verse 13, it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. You know, you, you might say, oh, Lord, I did so many great things for you, but the fire is going to test why you did those works now. If you did those with a pure intentions, if you did those in holiness, if you did those in purity, if you did those to exalt Christ, or was it all about you? And if all your works get burned up, guess what? You have nothing to offer and glorify God in heaven. You see, it's interesting here because it reminds us well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.10. What does it say here? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We all will appear. No one can skip that process. No one can stand before you. No one can be there before you. And each one will receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. God will hold you accountable for the things that you've done. And we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to grab all your works and test them in the fire and see how pure they were. See, he's going to go and test your works at church. Test your works at home. Test your works at maybe the, of what you did at your job or at work and between your friends. And see if they were pure and undefiled, unadulterated works. Or were they mixed with sin and selfish intentions and motives? Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Jesus says, and behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. You know that your works do matter because they speak about your faith. Sometimes we think our works don't matter because the Lord is all about faith and grace and my works don't get me a place to heaven. No, but your works demonstrate a heart for heaven. Your works demonstrate faith that is working, that is an action, that is alive. In Romans chapter 10 verse 12, what does Paul tell the church? He says here, so let each of us, give an, uh, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. When you know you're going to give an account of yourself to God, you better pay attention to the decisions that you're making. Not making decisions off of emotion, off of feeling. Because one day you're going to answer to God why you made that decision. 
One day you're going to stand before the fiery eyes of God and they're going to look straight into you, past your eyes, into your soul, and you're going to have to give an answer on why you did that. You think about that's the fire he's talking about. You see, it says here that our works are going to be exposed. The motivation of our heart. That's what God looks at, the motivation of your heart. And we have to learn to disappear. That we would become invisible so that He can become visible in us. Say, Lord, if I'm struggling with something right now, Lord, I want you to change my heart, my motivation, my mind so that I can honor you because one day I'm going to have to answer to you about this. And it says in verse 14 now, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures. You have the foundation Jesus, but if your work endures, endurance is a beautiful word because it talks about not giving up, not quitting. Endurance speaks here about something that was tested in the fire and resisted the fire and it was purified and you understood that the motive was to glorify God, he will receive a reward. A reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. A lot of people think, well, you know what? It doesn't matter because if, if, even if my works you know, get burned up and I have nothing, I still, at least I still get to go to heaven. <laughs> And let me tell you, there's a danger in that mentality. Because it says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. What's the loss? You're going to suffer everything that you ever did to offer the Lord, you're going to suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. People read this verse and say, oh man, that's an excuse for me. to Even if my works get burned, I don't have to really do anything. I can suffer great loss, still make it to heaven. At the end, no one's really going to care about what I did. Because everyone's eyes are going to be on Jesus. But think about this. What are your works for in heaven? What, what are they for? What are you, your rewards for in heaven? The Bible tells us that in Revelation, that when we, our works are tested in that fire, and that right there in the presence of God on the day of judgment day, that He's going to give us rewards based off the now uh, works that we did with the pure mentality. And the Bible talks about rewards being crowns with those jewels and, and crowns that we are going to wear. But then what does the Bible say about what the now... Elders, 24 elders do with the crowns, with the rewards. You know what your rewards do in heaven? Your rewards glorify God in heaven. Because in Revelation chapter 4 verse 10 it says, And the 24 elders fell down before Him who sits on the throne to worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by you they exist and were created. You know what your rewards for? Your reward is a crown to give God all the glory. Think about you go to heaven, you can't even give Him the glory because your rewards got burned up. Think about making it that day past judgment. And your, your intentions and the motivations of your heart are exposed and they don't glorify the Lord there. So you want to get there and enter in and hear, well done, Lord, here are my crown. I cast it, not I, but you, Lord. My reward is to give Him back to you. Rewards is an interesting thing because sometimes we work here on earth for, for earthly rewards. But what are you working for? An earthly reward or an eternal reward? You see, we should always work not to get compensated here on earth. That's your reward. If you want to get compensated, then there's your reward. You'd rather have your reward now or in heaven. When you get your reward right here on earth, guess what? That's as far reaching as your reward will ever go. And more than likely, it's not going to have the same impact to glorify God as it would if you got your reward in heaven. That's why it's so awesome to be able to do God's work humbly with the right motivation. Doesn't matter what I get out of this. 
My motivation is to glorify God. You get to heaven, the Lord gives you that reward, and you just give it back to Him and glorify with Him. It's a form of worship, your reward. Isn't this amazing? Verse 16 now, when it's talking about holiness, purity, the motivation of our thoughts, and the motivation of our hearts now, it speaks on this. It says, verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You see, he's not talking about a, a physical building now, as far as building. But he's saying, first, lay the foundation, build the materials, you build with the right materials, the valuable, the word of God, the doctrine, the prayer, the faithfulness, the testimony. But now when you have it built, after the building is up, I want you to know this, you have the foundation, you build with the right materials, and think about this, you build with the right materials, now you're responsible on what you put in the building. <laughs> Sometimes you think, well, man, I have been in the church for a long time. The foundation is Jesus. I built with Jesus. But then we start to bring in all this garbage in the temple. You're responsible for what you put into it after the Lord has built it on His Word. You see, it's, you want to have a fireproof life in a ministry? You know what this, the secret to that is? After scaffolding in the Word of God in prayer? It's your holiness. It's your holiness. And it says here in verse 16... Don't you know? Don't you realize something? It's almost like he's exhorting the church because they were in sin. They were in a lot of sins. But the sin that they were attracted to the most was worldly sin, a secular mentality. That I prefer what the world says than what God's word says. And you understand here what they're saying is, is don't you know that you are the temple of God? I just can imagine God's word just piercing our hearts right now. Every time we sin, every time we offend Him, every time we offend His holiness, every time we offend His word, that, 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 that now He's speaking through Paul the Apostle of Spirit and saying, don't you know that you are the temple of God? Don't you know that? I pray that the Lord would prick our hearts when we are about to enter into temptation. And you would remember this verse, don't you know that you're the temple of God? Don't you know that you're the temple of God? Because when you remember that you're the temple of God, it will change the way you live. It will change the way you talk. It will change what you intake. It will change what you watch. Don't you know that you're the temple of God? When you realize that, it sets parameters in your life now and boundaries. Because you are the temple of God. And it says here now, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. Now in the temple of God, there was an outer court where the public can go to. The ordinary average person can go to there. But then there was a most holy place where there was a veil and it was thick, uh, a thick veil. And the high priest can go there once a year. It was the most holy place. It was the place where God's presence dwelt. It was the most holy place there. And that's the place he's talking about. When he says temple, he's referring to a sanctuary or he's calling it a most holy place. Don't you know that you are a most holy place, church? And that the temple of God lives in you, the most holy place. Not the outer courts, not the public, not the casual place. The place of respect. See, outside the people can go in and it didn't matter who went in or out. It was so casual. It was ordinary. They would just went, they would go pray. They would offer their sacrifices. But the high priest would go in deeper, farther in. And that was the most holy place. You see, we should not live our lives as if it's the outer courts. When God has called us into the most holy place. You think about it, a lot of Christians live their entire Christian life in the outer courts. When God had said the veil has been torn, I want you to step into the most holy place and live there. Because that's my presence is dwelling in you. See, you are his sanctuary and you are called to reveal his glory. And you are called to put in the bricks of prayer. 
the bricks of faithfulness, the bricks of testimony, the bricks of the Word of God into the house of God. So that when you know that there is something taking place that is calling you to stand for holiness, you do because you said, I am the house in the sanctuary of God. And I choose not to live as in the outer courts. I want to step into the most holy place. And if 2018, I was living in the outer courts in the common grounds, that's not where I'm called to live. I'm called to live past the veil that was torn. That's exactly why Jesus went into the cross so that you can go past the veil. Isn't that amazing? We live like Jesus didn't go on the cross. That we, we have to stand back. He went to the cross so that you have all access to come in. And it says in verse 17, If anyone defiles or corrupts the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. If anyone corrupts the temple of God, God's going to now destroy it. And it doesn't say to you now, doesn't mean that God's going to come in and completely destroy you or your life in, in a physical way. It, it's talking about God's going to abandon you. And that's going to be the most miserable time of your life. Sometimes we think that it's miserable to deny your flesh. It's more miserable not to deny your flesh. Because that's when the presence of God leaves you. And there is nothing harder and more sad and more lonely and more depressing and discouraging to be in, in life than outside of the presence of God. When the presence of God is absent and when He has left you. you think about Samson when he, he went out to fight the Philistines after he had told now Delilah that his strength came as he was a Nazarene set apart as a temple for the Lord. It said that when he went out after his hair was cut, he went out like he, he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. He went out sinning. He went out to do ministry. He went out to get a victory not knowing that the Spirit of God had left him. And that's, that's exactly how we sometimes we live our Christianity. We go out trying to do something big, not knowing that the Spirit of God has left us. It's departed us a long time ago because of compromise. We've corrupted what we put in the temple. And it says here now, don't you know that God will not house His presence and share the space and room with sin? What does this tell us? That we have to walk in dignity and reverence and worship. God doesn't share space with sin. He doesn't share space with pride. He doesn't want to compete with your ego because it doesn't even make sense. He wants you to forsake, renounce, and relinquish everything that we are so that He can be magnified and glorified and exalted and He can increase and we can decrease. God doesn't share space with sin. And because you are His temple, don't you know that? You must be holy. The word holy means hagios in its original Greek word, which means to be set apart for God and set apart for God's use. It matters how you treat His temple. It really does. It matters how you treat His temple. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The loins of your mind. What does that mean? It means that you... Make sure that you have your mind under control and discipline. That you don't let your mind think of things that don't honor God or that can lead you into pride or sin. And put your hope on the grace of God that has brought you through Jesus Christ as obedient children. When your mind is girded, girded means that the loins of your mind are talking about the reproductive power of what your mind can do. When you have under control the reproductive power of your mind, you can become an obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lusts, to the ways of this world, as in your ignorance. In your ignorance, you didn't know any better. But it says here now, But he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. 
Be holy, for I am holy. You want to be more like Jesus? Be holy, because He's holy. Be holy. And in Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Pursue peace with all people. Look, run, seek peace with all people. And holiness, which, no one, which without no one will see the Lord. You think about this verse, it says, Pursue peace with all people. Maybe there's division right now. I want you to pursue peace. That's what God's Word says. That's what God wants for your life. That you would pursue peace with all people. And then when you pursue peace, guess what else you can pursue? Is holiness. Because holiness mends and heals and provides peace and unity that glorifies God. And without holiness, without holiness, doesn't matter what you're doing in life, you won't see God. See, holiness is your ticket into heaven after you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because you can't say, I put my faith in Jesus, but I'm living a carnal lifestyle which doesn't display holiness. Holiness is always the safe sinner's response of gratitude for the grace that he's received. Just think about it. When you receive the grace of God, you're so grateful that holiness is your response. Have you ever received something that you found so valuable? And because you found so valuable, maybe the, the way you treat that person that gave you that gift is much nicer and you want to respect that person. You love that person. That person asks you for a favor. You go out of your way because the gift that that person gave you was so valuable. So your response over to them, guess what? Is going to change. When you realize the grace of God in your life, your response in the way you live should change. Holiness is a saved sinner's response of gratitude for the grace that is revealed in their life. You want me to tell you something about holiness? Holiness is not flammable. Holiness is fireproof. That means that you decide to lay out the right foundation, which is Jesus, and build with the valuable instead of with the worthless. And after it's built and it stands that you're going to take care of and carefully now watch what's going to come in into that temple because it's the most holy place. It's not the outer courts. And decide to live in holiness. That's when you understand what the secret to a fireproof life in ministry is. When your life is a channel and a vessel. When your life is a channel and a vessel. And saying, Lord, I want my life to be a channel, a vessel. Don't you know that you are the temple of God? Don't you know this? He's saying, he's almost asking a rhetorical question. And today the question is before us today. Don't you know that you are the temple of God? That means your attitude should change. That means your heart should open. You're, an, you're a temple of God. That means that your hands should stretch out to be the hands of Jesus. When you're the temple of God, it should change your response to grace. Lord, thank you because when we come to grace... We understand grace, that you forgave us. We didn't deserve it. We did not deserve it. The only thing we deserve is hell. And when we realize that we didn't deserve it, but he still gave us forgiveness, and he still gave us heaven, that's to change the way we love and forgive others as well. I'm going to ask the communion board to come forward as we pray right now. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. Because... Your word is so special, it speaks. And we ask, Lord, that today you would be the king of our hearts and the Lord of our minds, the center of our devotions. The king of our hearts, the Lord of our mind and the center of our devotion. You know, last week we took communion and when we took communion, we, 
we lifted up the cup and we broke it, right? Symbolic of being a vessel that was broken to the Lord. On Wednesday, I came in to prepare the things for the church with a couple of the other servants. And it drew my attention that I found some of the cups on the, on the ground. I'm not telling you so you can pick them up. That's not the point. <laughs> but I went and I grabbed the two of them to just take them over to the trash. And the Lord ministered to me when I grabbed the two cups. Because they were stacked on each other. The two of them stacked on each other. And maybe it was so symbolic. The Lord spoke to me that day. I looked at it and I, I opened it to see if it was broken. Because obviously that's what we had done. And you know what happened with those two vessels? They were together. But only one was broken. And the Lord spoke to me and He told me, This is my church. They want communion with God. But they don't want brokenness. These are the vessels. They might be together. And they want communion with Christ. But they don't want brokenness. And it's so important because brokenness is the only way for communion. In fact, you cannot have broken, you cannot have communion apart from brokenness. That's impossible. Today as we have the communion be presented before us, it's symbolic of the cross. That's the number one place of brokenness, healing, of restoration of everything that we need in our lives. If you need brokenness, why don't you just raise your hand? Because we can't take it without brokenness. Amen. Amen. We can't take it without brokenness. There's no way we can take it. It's impossible to have communion with Christ without brokenness. It's impossible. There's no way we can do that. Lord, I pray that you would show us, Lord, that we would need more brokenness. That brokenness, it's never a place where you arrive there. Uh, brokenness is a place where you continually stay there, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you would teach us that. That we would learn that, God. That we must be broken at the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, Paul tells the church, and examine yourself. He says, therefore... Whoever eats this cup and drinks this body of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let each man examine himself, so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Know what you're doing. Discern what you're doing right now. Discern it. Discern it means understand it. Discern what you're doing. You're doing something important. Discern it. No, this is not a game. And if I've, I've, I've discerned it, I'm not going to take it in an unworthy manner. We, we, Lord, we ask for brokenness. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for reconciliation. We ask, Lord, for healing. We ask, Lord, that you would break the bonds of Satan, Lord. We ask, Lord, that right now you would give us, Lord, defeat over that which has hound us bound for such a long time. And that you would be the king of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. The church said together.